So good to see you all. I'm Josh, one of the ministers here. If you are a guest, welcome. Oh, we're just so glad that you're a part of our church family this morning. Whether here in person or online, we want you to know that uh, we got a great God. We worship Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. And there's not one person in this room who's worthy of it. But he loved us enough to take care of each of our sin and draw us to him. Amen? So if you haven't experienced the grace of Jesus, I'm just going to tell you right now, the punchline to this Sunday's message and every Sunday's message is Jesus loves you. We know this, and we want you to know it and to experience life in him. So at the end of our gathering time this morning, just so you know, at the, just right out here in the foyer or foyer, if it's a fancy space, is a place called our Next Steps Table. And if you have any questions, we want to help you take your next steps with Jesus or in your walk or figuring out what your next step even is. And online, if you have questions, there should be a prayer button right there. If you're on our platform, if you're on YouTube, welcome. Just in the chat, let us know. Say, hey, I'd like to talk to someone. And we will contact you and uh, help you take your next step. Because we believe, we believe that Jesus is worth everything. And that's why we're here this morning. Well, we're in a series called Take... The land. A little look at the book of this ancient text of Joshua. And it's this moment in the history of the Israelite nation where they enter into a new place, a new space, and by God's power, they step into fresh land, fresh spaces that will become their home. And we're doing this, we're looking at this, because over the past year, it has been my conviction and frankly, in my own life, awareness that instead of stepping into new spaces, it is easy to allow the cultural moment or the social circumstances to hold us in place versus stepping into the new areas that God would have us to take. And so what we're doing is we're simply expressing the idea that every one of us, as we said in first week, every one of us has land that God has prepared for each of us to take in where we live, where we work, and where we play. That there are places God wants you to take, deeper relationships to become people of greater influence. There are friends that God wants you to bring to Him so that they will come to know Christ. So there's land for us all to take. We said one of the greatest challenges is not knowing where to go necessarily, but it's just the, the confidence or the courage to take our next step. Because often, we don't see the miracle of God until we take that next step. And then last week, we looked at this idea that everything we're doing, it's not ultimately for, for you and me, although we enjoy the benefits of expended or expanded territory. Rather, everything we're doing, family, is ultimately for the purposes and glory of God. And so today, though, today, we're going to look at, I think, maybe the most important question, the most important question that will determine whether or not you take land or the land takes you this year. And so to see this, I want to take you now to Joshua chapter 9. And as we come into this passage, let me give you sort of the setup. Joshua and the nation of Israel have crossed over into the, Jordan, into the Canaan area. They crossed Jordan River. And they have already had some success. They faced and destroyed Jericho. Or rather, they marched around the city and God brought the results. How many of us know that every good gift we have comes from God? And it's not because of how great we are. So they had some success. Jericho fell. Then they faced off against this other city called, we all call it AI. And that's okay if you call it that. But the, the proper pronunciation is simply I. 
So Jericho and then I. Now there was a little hiccup there. They, someone in the camp decided to do something wrong, cost a lot of people a lot of lives, bad deal, but they returned to God. The Israelites turned to God and then they had success at I as well as Jericho. But now they're facing this key question that will determine the outcome of their future and it will be the question that determines the outcome of your future and mine as well. So this is what happens in Joshua chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. It says this, However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. So there's this group of people who live in Canaan and they see what's going on. They get a little scared, so they decide they're going to try and trick Joshua and the Israelites. And this is how they do it. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Everybody say, mmm. <laughs> yeah, someone goes, yuck. <laughs> then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a far, distant, long way away country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, "Mm, But perhaps you'll live nearer to us. How then can we make a treaty with you? Now, pause. Here's what's happening. The... Uh, the Hivites, as we're told here, or uh, the Gibeonites, as we're told in a few verses back, same group, they come and they want to have a treaty with Israel. They've heard what happens with those who don't make treaties with Israel and they don't want to die. The problem is God told the Israelites not to make any treaties, any alliances with any of the peoples living within Canaan. Here's why. And this is key principle, family. God said you must get rid of all the influences that may otherwise influence you. You must push out the bad influences, otherwise the bad influences will influence you. We might put it this way, friend, you have to take the land or the land will take you. You have to take the land or the land will take you. Nature abhors a vacuum. If there is a vacuum in your life, something will come in to fill it. If there is a vacuum in an area of your life that God wants you to take, friends, if you are a husband or a father, if you're a mother or a wife, you have a responsibility to expand the territory in leadership and example in your home. And if you don't lead your children, someone else will, won't they? Hey, listen, we live in a world that is really good at discipling our children. If you don't take the land, the land will take you. This is true in every aspect of life, not just relationships, but in business, in finances. How many of us know that if you don't take control of your finances, hello, your finances will take care and control of you. This is true across the board. And so the Lord says, do not make treaties with any group who live in this nation or this land, because if you make peace with them, they will not make peace with you. But the Israelites... Hearing this crew comes along, they say, how do we know? How do we know that you don't live near us? How can we make a treaty with you if God's told us not to? Verse 8, we are your servants, they said to Joshua. (laughs) But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? 
They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. We're here because of how awesome your God is. One more little point, family. Just because someone says they like God, don't listen only to the words. Watch the course of their life. Do not make common cause simply because someone says they love God. Watch how they live their life. I have found it in my own life that it's easy for me to say certain things, but much more difficult to do those things. What I do is what I actually believe. What I say, anyone can say anything, right? But how you live is what dictates who you really are. They say, hey, we've heard how great God is, for we have heard reports of him, all that he did way back in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. Mm, mm, Manly names. Here we go. Verse 12. This bread of ours was warm when we packed at, at home on the day that we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. But, verse 16, three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. If you want a title for today's message, it's simply this. I need a revelation. I need, and I'm going to say you need, a revelation. Let's pray together. Father, as we survey the land in front of us this year, we recognize that we live in a world full of choices and information. We don't need any more information. We simply need help from you to know what to do. So, Father, our prayer this morning is that you, through the power of your Spirit, would give us clear sight, clear eyes, give us revelation, so that we may live as you've called us to live and see new land taken for your name and your glory And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all those who agree said, amen. Amen. Friends, I want to tell you that the biggest difference, the biggest difference between people who flourish in life and people who repeatedly fail in life has very little to do with how much money they have. It has very little to do with how naturally, physically capable they are. It has very little to do with how many relationships they have, what their IQ score is, or where they grew up or went to school. Those things have a nominal impact on how much you flourish or flounder in life. Rather, there is one thing that dictates almost everything in your life. And this is the one thing we're going to talk about for the next few minutes because it's all throughout this text. The one thing that determines the course and quality of your life is this one word. The decisions you and I make. Everything that you experience in life is influenced and impacted and often dictated by the decisions that you will make. Now, some very, very smart people did some research. They decided, how many decisions does the average person make in the average day? And they found that the average person, and if you're average like me, make about 70 
conscious decisions every day. Now, this is a key word, conscious, because we often make many uh, subconscious or habitual decisions every day. For instance, I made a bad decision last night. It was a habitual decision, which <laughs> you'll find out why later. I was hungry in the night, and so instead of either just rolling over, going back to sleep, I got up, and the habit kicked in. And, and, and friends, I couldn't help it. It was a habit. I just, I tried, but I couldn't. The devil made me do it. I went to the cupboard. I opened the cupboard, went to the top shelf, the big shelf right there with our box of goodies in it, and I just um, <clears throat> enjoyed And this morning, also habitually, I skipped right past that scale because, nope, I'm going to pretend like it didn't even happen. Now, some of us make habitual decisions. We all do that, but we make 70 conscientious decisions every day. Now, if you're a mathematician, how many is that in a year? Well, it turns out that in a year, you will make roughly 25,550 conscious decisions. And if you take that number and you stretch that over, let's say you just live 70 years, you and I will make roughly 1,788,500 conscious decisions. This is your life. In fact, I love what French philosopher Albert Camus says. He puts it this way. He says, life is a sum of all your choices. If you like where you are today, chances are you have made a series of good decisions. If you don't like where you are today, chances are you made a series of bad decisions. Is it only your fault? Are we influenced by others? Sure, we're influenced by others. But end of the day, where you are and where you're going is determined predominantly by the decisions you and I make. So how many of us would like to make really, really, really good decisions? See, this entire story is about the decision that Israel makes. And it's a story about how to make really great decisions. And for some of us in here who wear the scars of bad decisions, it is also the story of what to do when you make a bad decision. And I just want us for the next few minutes to unpack this because I believe if you were to take the land that God is calling you in your home, in your work, in your school, where you play, you need desperately to figure this one out. In fact, the Israelites are about to make a bad decision because they did not answer or ask the most important question. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. But this question is such a big question. It will determine the quality of your life, the quality of the lives of your children, the quality of the lives of your grandchildren, your neighbors, your coworkers. This question is the one question that if you will ask it every time you face a challenge, it will radically improve the direction of your life. And God's name will be seen as more great in your life as a result as well. See, here's the thing. Making good decisions is hard. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone here? We, We got all sorts of reasons. Let me just give you two even from the text. The first reason that good decisions are hard to make and bad decisions are so easy to make is simply this. Number one, greater success leads to more options. We get inundated with options to the point that it's hard to decide what is the best decision in this situation. So for instance, if you are successful in business, isn't it true that you get more options as a result? If you get a promotion... You now have greater options, usually, don't you? 
If you succeed in business and you get a raise, now you have greater income, you have financial options that you didn't have before, correct? Or even if you don't get a promotion by title or a raise, you have greater influence as you have greater success in business. So now you have options on how you interact with people, what you say, what you don't say, how you elevate, how you put down. You have greater options, not just in business. Let's talk about in family or in relationships. Isn't it true that as you prove yourself trustworthy in a relationship, that opens up greater options for you? So as you have more options, you now have greater complexity because you have more possible decisions that you can make. Or what about you young people? Greater success, isn't it true? Greater success in high school leads to potentially greater options for college. Some of us know the opposite of that as well, don't we? So more options lead to greater complexity in life. This is obvious, this is true, but good decisions are tough and hard to do because, one, greater success leads to more options, but number two, notice this. It also is because of inaccurate information. Isn't it true that if you had perfect information, it would radically improve the kind of decisions you can make? Anyone else in here wish that you had the right information all the time and that you didn't have to sift through mountains of wrong information just to get to the right information? See, this is the situation Israel finds herself at this moment in history. They had success with Jericho and I. As a result, this one nation sneaks in and says, we want to have a treaty with you. Now it's not just the option of do we get rid of them, but do we have a treaty? And also, the information that is given to Israel is, (laughs) let's just be charitable and call it inaccurate. Now, do we live in a world of inaccurate information? Hello, fake news. Hello, your truth. Hello, alternative facts. We live in a world because we have so many options It is complex and difficult, and we live in a world where the truth is something to be avoided, not embraced. And we have, at best, inaccurate information, and often we have outright lies that we have to navigate through. This is one of the major reasons that so many of us make bad decisions, or we choose not to make any decision for fear of making a bad decision. But do you understand, not making a decision is a decision? Simply waiting to do something is a decision in and of itself. This is where Israel finds herself. And the inaccurate information was prevalent. Consider what was, being, what was going on here. Uh, these Gibeonites, they come in, they wear worn out clothes, they bring bags that would carry wine, but they're now cracked and old looking. Their bread is moldy and stale. They have set up facts for Israel to look at that are not true. Hear me now. For you to make really good decisions is going to take a whole lot more than having more facts at your disposal. We live in the information age, but how many of us know that more facts have not led to a culture with greater decision-making capabilities? And for many of us, the challenge is not, do I need more information? The issue is, I need a revelation from God. In fact, let me just kind of jump to the punchline here. The one question, if Israel had asked this question, in fact, let's just put this up here. Israel sort of says, hey, let's sample their provisions. So they start to evaluate the content of the information. They're gathering and testing the information. So they taste the bread. It's stale. They 
drink the wine. Something's wrong with it. They look at the shoes. They're cracked and worn out. They check the information. But more information would not lead them to a better decision. Because what they needed is the one thing they did not do. What you and I need may be the one thing that you and I forget to do often. But this is the one question, if you will ask it, it will radically change the trajectory of your life. As you take land, it will help you take the land the way God wants you to so you avoid many of the pitfalls that are optional in life. You say, what is the one question? Well, the next part of this passage gives us the answer. Notice this. They sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Here's the one question that can change everything. Are you ready? The one question, this this seems so obvious. By the way, if this seems obvious, it's because we've not grasped how big of a deal this really is. Here's the one question. Have I asked God what to do? Have I? In this situation, have I asked the God of the universe, what do I do? You say, well, which situation should I ask God what to do? Well, how many of you have ever been to the dentist? Okay, okay, I'll give you a chance to really respond. Yeah, anyone? Have you ever heard someone say, well, which teeth do I brush? And the answer is, only the ones you want to keep. Which parts of my life should I ask God what to do? The answer, only the parts you want leading to make a good decision on. In other words, there is no decision that is beneath asking God what to do. Asking God what to do is the changer, it's the game changer for everything. Because, because, here's the thing, a lot of us have, put this up, a lot of us have a lot of information. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I I know about this piece of information. Uh, I I know about this piece of information. And, And I know about this situation. And I've planned all this out. See, a lot of us have disconnected information in our heads and at our fingertips. What we need is not more information. We need a revelation Someone who will connect the dots and help us understand how it works together. And this is something that you cannot get from someone else who is in the same system as you. The scriptures are so very clear that our God stands above time, over time, out of time. He sees all things perfectly And so when the Israelites learned three days later these Gibeonites live in their neighborhood, God was going, I knew that already. I could have told you if you'd only asked. Quick question. What situations are you facing or have you faced that you wished you just asked God first? Don't raise your hand, but but how many of us kind of go, man, I wish I could get a mulligan on that moment of my life. How many of us wish we could get a redo because we made a decision without asking God? Now, we did probably like a lot of the Israelites because here's the thing, here's the thing. You're smart people. I know this about you. You ask questions. You search out information. In fact, you don't even do it alone. Did you notice the Israelites did it as a group? The leaders are asking questions. Joshua's asking questions. It's not that they're so ignorant as to simply ask a question by themselves. Look, they're getting group input. Isn't that smart of them? Here's the reality. You can have a whole group asking questions and still make a bad decision. Because you don't need more information from people who don't know the big picture. You need someone who stands above the picture who can say, I see how the dots connect. Let me lead you. And, and let me tell you why I think this is so important. This is so, scripture is so abundantly clear. 
as to what God's ability is. In fact, look at these passages. This is Isaiah 46. It says, I make known the end from the beginning. How many of you would love to know what's coming next before it happens? How many of you, let's do it this way. How many of you watched or are familiar with the Back to the Future franchise? Any of you remember Marty McFly? I love that guy because he was short and still cool. I was like, yes, there's hope. How many of you remember Biff Tanner, the big jerk jock? Any of you remember Biff Tanner? All right, Back to the Future 2, there's that moment where Biff, old Biff, goes back in time and meets with young Biff. And he is no longer buff, but he goes to buff Biff. You get that moment, okay? And he takes with him, do you remember what he gives Biff in the past? How many of you remember? It's the Gray's Sports Almanac. And he tells his younger self, here is the answer to all the future games. You just bet on the right games, the right people, and you will have success. Here's the reality. Many of us have been betting on the wrong things in our life, and we have nothing to show for it. But there's a God who sees the end from the beginning, and he doesn't call you to bet on the right game. He says, you bet on me. Friends, I am betting eternity on the King of kings, and that what he has promised to come to pass will come to pass, not merely in my life, but in eternity. He says, I have made known the end from the beginning. And notice this, he doesn't just know the time and what's to come, but in Proverbs it says this, every way of man is right in his own eyes. Show of hands, do you know anyone who thinks they're right all the time? Only three or four of you, huh? Every one of us, every one of us, there are moments, isn't it true, that we think that we know what's best, only to find out later that, oops, I'm glad I didn't make that decision. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. See, God knows all things in time. He also knows all things inside of every person. He could have discerned and shown and told the Israelites, the Gibeonites are deceiving you. How many of us wish that we could have that kind of insight into situations? I was talking to a friend this past week. And my buddy, we were talking about a business deal. He's just this fantastic uh, uh, businessman in Nashville, and he buys and sells companies like I buy a pair of shorts. I mean, the guy's just ridiculous. But he's telling me, he said, hey, Josh, he said, we were talking about a situation. He, he had this one really excellent opportunity with a company. He almost bought into it, almost bought the company. We said, man, I, I, something, I prayed to God and just kept sensing this is not the right thing to do. I said, really? And so we talked about it. And he said, yeah. He goes, and I'm so thankful that I listened because here's the reality. I just learned this past week, he said, that this particular company he was going to buy was in trouble with the United States government. The I-R-S to be exact. And if he had bought the company, he would have bought the problems that went with the company. Now listen, I'm not telling you that you wait for those big decisions. I'm saying practice today on all the decisions. How many of you, how many of you would love it if your children, before they made any decision on the kind of friends that they would spend time with and invest, that they would be asking, what does God want me to do? How many of you with your children, see, here's why I know this is so important to you, because you want this for your kids. You want your children to make great decisions and you want them to avoid the painful taxes of stupid decisions, of bad decisions. So when you ask the question, 
What does God want me to do? You are opening yourself up to learning what is beyond the scope of human understanding. So you don't need more information. You need revelation from God. And so James chapter 1 and verse 5 gives us this promise when he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Why? He gives it generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Have I asked God? Have I asked God? Have I asked God about this relationship that I really, really want to see work out? Have I asked God? Have I asked God about this financial situation that I am in? Have I asked God about this opportunity with this job or with this school? Have I asked God about how to handle this conflict? Have I asked God because he will give you revelation. You don't need more information. You need God to lead you in what is right, true, and good. Can I get an amen from anyone? Now, now, here's the thing, here's the thing. If you're like me, this sounds really good if you're just starting life and you've not made a lot of mistakes already. In fact, this is the part of the message that everyone's like, yeah, but now I feel guilty because if I'd only done this earlier, maybe I wouldn't be dealing with the situation. So so here's what I love about this passage. It doesn't just show us what to do to make a good decision. I want to show you now what to do if you've made a bad one. Because everyone, everyone, everyone has made a bad decision before, haven't we? In fact, Scripture calls it sin. We've done things that have broken the heart of God, broken relationships, broken ourselves. So so what do you do if you have made a bad decision? Real quick, for the last couple minutes, I want to show you these two things from the text. If you have made a bad decision, here's the very first thing I just want to remind you of. Number one, just do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. You say, I've done something wrong. I'm in a place I never thought I would be. I've I've broken this relationship. I've put myself in this situation. I don't know what to do about it. Do the next right thing. But I don't know how to do. Have you asked God what to do? Have you asked God what to do? You find yourself in a bad place. Ask God what to do. You do the next right thing. This is what Israel does. When they learn that they made a bad decision, notice they do not correct one bad decision with another bad decision. Instead, look at what they do here. The whole assembly, this is Israel, the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord and we cannot touch them. See, what happens is when you make a bad decision, you will feel pressure to compound it. If you make a lie, if you tell a lie, if you break a relationship, the temptation is to tell another lie, to justify the behavior, to... But he doesn't do that. He says, okay, no, no, no. We made a bad decision, but we promised, and our integrity... And the reputation of our God is at stake, not with what we just did, but what we do now. I love what one author puts it. He says, the issue is not what did you do, but what will you now do? Take the next right step. Make the next decision. He said, we will keep our oath. Our integrity matters. You've heard the phrase, two wrongs don't make a right. And I remember one smart aleck kid said, yeah, but three lefts. We'll make a right. And some of you will get that on the drive home today. Here's the first thing. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you like, give a preacher joke and no one laughs and you're like, oh, let's just keep, let's go on. Okay, so do the next right thing. And then number two, take your bad decision to Jesus. Take it to the Lord. 
This is exactly what happens. See, after they realize that they have been duped, they made a bad decision, they don't break their promise, but they take the bad decision to the Lord. Joshua says in the next verse, look at this. You will never cease, talking to the Gibeonites, you will never cease to serve as woodcutters. Hey, we're not going to kill you. But you will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. This is brilliant. He says, you guys kept saying you're our servants when you were lying to us, so we're holding you to it. And we won't break our word to you. We're going to do the next right thing. But here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Your future, Gibeonites, you are going to be woodcutters and water carriers for, a key phrase, the house of my God. The house of the Lord is the tabernacle or the temple. Now it is you and me. We are the house of the Lord. Right, church? God lives inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in the ancient culture, the tabernacle was the physical space where God came to meet in a very unique way the people of Israel. And he says to them, you will be the ones who cut the wood for the altar on which sacrifices are made. You will be the ones to gather the water for the purification of the people. You will be the one who gathers in this space and around the presence of God. In other words, I made a bad decision. We did something wrong. But instead of running from God because of our bad decision, we are taking our bad decision and bringing it as close to the presence of God as possible. Friend, if you have made a bad decision, and I have made more bad than right decisions in my life, if you've made a bad decision, I want you to know the solution is not getting further from God. It's not saying, I will clean myself up, I'll come back, and Jesus, you're going to love Josh 2.0 when I get back. It's not to go away from God. It is to come as close to him as possible. Bring your garbage. Bring your bad decisions. Bring your regret and say, I can't fix it. And you bring it close to him. And here's the beautiful thing. They're the ones who bring the wood to the altar. The altar is symbolic that there's a sacrifice that's being made for all the sins of the people. They bring the water, symbolic of the cleansing that takes place when you come into the presence of God. Friends, if you've made a bad decision, you come close to God, you get washed in the waters of baptism. And you remember that there is a sacrifice, not you, not me, but there is one who died on a cross, who is the sacrifice for your sins and mine, every bad decision, every mistake, every misstep. And he now offers you and me life and forgiveness. And I love, I love, I love that because of what happens here, Because they didn't run away and push the bad decision away from God, but brought them close. We know a few things. Number one, the presence of God began to move in Gibeon. The tabernacle was placed there. Some of the Levites, the priests, began to live and work in that area. And it began to have an effect on many of the Gibeonite people. You say, Josh, how do we know this? We know it for two reasons. Number one, if you read about King David centuries later, he has this group of mighty men. One of those mighty men is a Gibeonite. Why? Because he'd been close to God. And the presence of God changed a bad decision and brought someone close. And then centuries later, when Israel continued to make other bad decisions and were exiled in Babylon, a group got to come back to Canaan. But when they came back to their homeland, the cities were burned, the temple was gone, and they began to rebuild. And do you know who helped them build? Many of the Gibeonites. Because they brought their bad decisions close to God. Friends, you don't need more information. You need revelation. Revelation. And if you've made a bad decision, welcome to the club. 
you bring that to the very presence of God. You take the next right step and you say, okay, what do you want me to do, God? And here's what he's going to tell you. If you are not yet a Christ follower, he's going to say, okay, you confess your sins. You repent for what you've done. And then you trust me with everything. He said, well, how do I do that? He goes, I want to tell you, it's as simple as falling under the water. The water doesn't save, but it reminds you that all of your life is now covered in God's divine, forgiving protection. And you say, well, I'm already saved. What do I do? What do I do? You come to God and say, God, what do I do? He says, well, I'll walk with you and I'll show you. I'll forgive you. I'll give you a hope and a future. You don't need more information. We need divine revelation. And we bring it to God. And here's the promise. He'll bring you home. As you take the land this year, ask for revelation. Revelation.